I invited my therapist to come see a screening of Lovely and Amazing, and um, it it was a it was a mistake because she said she wasn't moved by the film, and our relationship was never the same. Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. I'm so excited to bring you this episode of Employee of the Month. I got to sit down with the incredibly talented director and writer, Nicole Hall of Center, who, um, she has an upcoming film, The Land of Steady Habits, which we talked about. Um, that's starring Ben Mendelsohn and Edie Falco, amongst others. And she also did one. Missi- she also did. She also directed One Mississippi, which um, sp- spotlights Tignataro, um, and is a great show as well. We spoke about that. I've just always loved her particular aesthetic, and I highly recommend you see Enough Said, Lovely and Amazing, and so many of our other films. We also talked about Walking and Talking, but she has a real point of view, and it's it's palpable from the get-go of her career. So if you're a filmmaker or you just enjoy um, romantic comedies, thoughtful, smart, funny films, you'll enjoy our interview. Without further ado, here's my interview. I wanted to find out what you're working on right now. Let's start there. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can plug it, although I don't know when it's going to be released. I adapted a book called The Land of Steady Habits, um, and uh it stars Ben Mendelsohn and Edie Falco and a lot of other fantastic actors. Connie Britton. Connie Britton, Thomas Mann, Elizabeth Marvel, Bill Camp. That's and what, tell me about the book. What, what was it that um, you decided this seems like something I can take on and direct? Um, I guess uh, I like the idea that it had a male lead because I've never done that before. But I really related to him. What He's, about him? Um, well, he's kind of a tragic character and kind of a buffoon, and this is more of a drama than anything I've ever done, but I really related to the material because it's, it's about parenting and self-esteem and... Tell me everything. So, so when you say that, like, you, do you feel like you're tragic or a buffoon or... Oh, or? well, just in the way that everyone is. And how is everyone? <laughs> how are they not? Um, because nobody knows what they're doing. Yes. Okay. And, um, and you can't pretend that you do. I mean, I do know what I'm doing some of the time, but this particular character is kind of having a crisis of faith or the cliche midlife crisis. Um, but the mistakes he makes are really serious and it's very bittersweet. It's sad. Um, but it's a lot about, you know, having kids and how to raise them and how not to fuck them up. So I was drawn to the flor- flawed character, and, and I was also drawn to the world that I know nothing about in a way. It takes place in Westport, Connecticut, you know, where there's I know a, very well. You yeah. do? Not yeah. a Jew in sight. I, my <laughs> uncle, who is not Jewish, used to take me there and say, oh. remember that Sesame Street thing where they'd be, one of them doesn't belong? Like, which one's different from the others? No, they'd have I don't four that. things on the screen. Oh, how, oh yeah. And he yeah. would do that with me. He'd sing the song in Westport, Connecticut, and say, which one doesn't belong? Are you kidding? <laughs> to let me know. That's hilarious. It was really funny. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was the only one there. But yes. that whole world and... Um, very well. I don't know. I just really enjoyed the book, too. Um, so there. Now I have a movie. I'm almost finished with it. And it's for Netflix. And um, 
there are two different questions I want to ask, totally unrelated. One is just out of curiosity, and it's not really related to your career, but yeah. empathy and boys. How do we as a people or how do you approach sort of like teaching empathy or, or hoping that they gain empathy without them having to be fucked up? Like I often mm-hmm. wonder how does one <laughs> become empathic without having to endure um, because in their own pain. Yes, endure right. pain. Be- and, and the truth is, is that you can have horrible things happen to you and it doesn't necessarily make you an empathic person. Right. And you can be someone who doesn't necessarily suffer and be empathic. But generally, I think it is a little bit harder for children who are raised um, with everything mm-hmm. um, in many ways um, to necessarily be able to have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or that's the the stereotype, which of course I actually would say socioeconomic mm-hmm. um, is not necessarily all of that picture. But with men, does that make sense at all? Does that yeah. resonate? Or no, all? that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I have twin boys, and they're really different. Um, you know, one they're both empathic and loving and sensitive, and one son is so I don't know focused on what he's doing that. You know, he might not notice the old lady crossing the street. You know, if I pointed it out, he would care very much, but he might not notice it. Yeah. The other one is already helping her across the street. Okay. I feel like I want to lead by example. And sometimes, and I'm not um, patting myself on the back or bragging. It's okay if you do. Okay. Um, Sometimes I wish I had less empathy. Yes. Like... People don't need my pity, you know. I'm walking down the street and I feel like I have no skin. I'm just, I see every tragic, sad, even if they're not. (laughs) These people might be perfectly fine or having a good day. And I think, oh my God, that woman's going bald. She must be so (laughs) unhappy. Oh my God, that woman has, you know, elephantiasis. She must be so unhappy. You know, I just, like... And it's and I made a movie about use, please give yeah useless empathy. Yes, I loved that also because it played into pity versus empathy. Right, you know even sympathy versus empathy. Mm-hmm. I, I become ex- there's a wonderful Brene Brown uh, mm-hmm. animated video that's like three minutes, and I always encourage people to watch it on the difference between sympathy and empathy. Uh huh. Oh, interesting. And basically, empathy is just sort of willing to sit with someone else and mm. um, be under their dark cloud and just hear about their experience. And sympathy can often be dismissive without intentionally, you know, without meaning to be, but it can be if only, or do you want a sandwich when the person just actually needs to talk? Mm -hmm. Um, It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad, whatever, you know? Yeah. And I loved your film because it really touched upon this um, genuine desire to give, (laughs) but it's also quite, can be quite um, tricky depending on who you are. I mean... I do find ways to give and to relieve my guilt, but at times I have been useless, just like that character. And, um, you know, what's actually helpful? Well, and and um, when is it about her? So, like, I remember right. outside of the restaurant even wanting to offer this black man, a, you know, uh, some food. Her leftovers. And her leftovers, and he was waiting in line for a table. Right. And I loved that scene because um, was that it showed the range of how we all in one moment can be actually be acting out of guilt, out of sympathy, out of empathy, mm-hmm. instead of saying I'm a good person and I do X or right. I'm a bad person and I do Y. Yeah. Um, well, that character in particular, I mean, 
really all she needed to do was have empathy for her daughter. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the movie, that's what she learns is empathy for her daughter, whether it means buying her overpriced jeans. Right, or, the $200 jeans. Right, or just, you know, agreeing that she has a big zit on her nose, you know, so that yes. the daughter feels seen. Um, so there's obviously many ways of giving. And with my kids, I just, I try to lead by example, you know, I volunteer. What do you do volunteer-wise? money, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> I, um, I signed up to be a tutor uh, for a homeless child um, about six or seven years ago through this organization called School on Wheels. And they sent me, I went over to this kid's house. It was like temporary housing. And she was untutorable. She was five years old. She didn't need a tutor. And um, I was very frustrated and almost you know, like, I can't do this. This is ridiculous. She's running away from me. She's hiding. She, <laughs> this is a waste of my time. And then eventually I just realized she needed a buddy. And then she has two siblings. So I've become kind of their auntie, big sister person. This. Yeah. Um, and let me tell you, it relieves a lot of my guilt <laughs> because I'm taking care, you know, of the, I feel gratified helping them. And, um, I think they're benefiting from it. Sometimes I question it, but, and you know, they've come over to my house and my kids have met them and I drag my kids with me and you know, they have nothing. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, it's hard. Um, and I, I'm going to question whether it's always guilt that's motivating you. Right. I don't think I was articulate about that before, but mm -hmm. having, um, received so much from, I'm okay with the fact that I get something out of giving. Right. Um, and I'm you also... You have to. Yes. And and that's okay. Right. Like, I'm also keenly aware at the same time that um, it is important to question, is that for that person? So, like, when she goes up to a homeless person... And these are, these are real questions. Like, I loved Catherine Keener's character mm -hmm. because there is a diffusion of responsibility when we just walk by and ignore what's going on around us. But then there's also this projection onto people. Right. Like I do. Like I think, you know, this person's miserable and maybe they're not. Maybe I'm miserable. Yes. Right. That's exactly right. Or yeah. And right. That's exactly it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you are a solo director and, and screenwriter, but you've um, had several relationships throughout your film career and one of them I wanted to start with was with Catherine Keener mm -hmm. and how that was established, like how you guys connected um, and what your relationship was like mm -hmm. when you first started working together. Yeah. Um, I saw her, I was trying to cast uh, Walking and Talking and I saw her, I had a short at Sundance Film Festival. Before that? Yeah. What was that one? It was called Angry. And it Who was, was about, in Angry? What? Who was in Angry? Uh, I was in Angry, actually. It was a five-minute short, and I acted in it and directed it and wrote it, and it was about breaking up with my mother, which I've not done. But, you know, sometimes one fantasizes. And um, so it was playing at Sundance, and I saw Johnny Swade, Tom DiCillo's movie mm -hmm. that Catherine is in, and I just fell head over heels in love with her as an actress, you know, and as a person. She's just was instantly remarkable to me. And so I found someone that knew her. We went to the same gym. I Which gym? It was in 
I can't remember. It was on Beverly in Los Angeles, Beverly Boulevard. It's really important that we get the actual gym know, for fact checking. I don't know if it's still there. I can't. I can't all right. tell. Well, you. hopefully someone can find it. I hope so. It's very important. Yeah, she was on the stairmaster all the time, like reading the Is New that York true? Times. It yeah. does make me feel better that Catherine Keener has to work out. Yes, she does. She's like everyone else, <laughs> and um, she has a heart and a cardiovascular system that needs to be pumped. Exactly. <laughs> And discipline and whatever. She sweats. Um, and so I just, I met her and said, I just saw you in this movie and I am crazy about you. Will you read this script? And let's meet. So she read the script. Probably I gave it to her agent. Okay. And um, You didn't give it to her at the gym? No. I, I know better than that. Also because at that point you'd have to print it again. If it's she got so sweat true. on it. Exactly. Or type it up again. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and she read the script and we met at a coffee shop, Jan's, that no longer is there, which I'm really sad about because there was really only one Jan's. And we hit it off and laughed like crazy. And she said, I'm in. And six really short years went by. I'm being sarcastic. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about that. Yeah. Because yeah. this, I mean, and I want to go back even further at some point to talk about, I, got, I had the privilege of seeing a movie you did with Cynthia Nixon, who's also an employee of the so month. So you saw it. She showed it to you? It's phenomenal. Oh, it's not phenomenal. It is. I mean, it, first of all, Cynthia looks like a young, young girl. I'm, I'm, well, she is. She was like 20. I know, but I'm, I'm sort of surprised that she wasn't a muse in more Woody Allen films or something right, like exactly. that. Because she has... Nymph. <laughs> yes, she, Beautiful nymph. She was... Um, she's so uh, dexterous at escaping into a character yet being herself. Mm -hmm. Like, you know it's her, but you also feel like you're watching a character. Yeah. And, and um, at the same time, it was such a well-done uh, glimpse into a relationship and, and life, and I really enjoyed um, seeing Good. it. And was that your first film, To Richard I Love? Is that it's what it's Richard called? I Love. Richard I Love. I made another uh, short film that was really bad. Before that one? Yeah. What was that a one? A few years before that. Oh, God. No one could ever find it, thank God. It okay. Was, we'll look. It had kids in it, and I was in, I was way, I was in way over my head. And it was long and really boring and kind of embarrassing. I thought it was great um, until I realized it was terrible. And I thought, I'm not going to direct. Maybe I'll just write. And so... That was your first film? Yeah. We, I made a bunch of little, like, one-minute, three-minute films at NYU undergraduate school. Okay. And that was really fun. But when it came time to make the long one, it, it, it was bad. Um, what was the difference? Just I had no perspective about what, I, you know, I hadn't developed my taste yet or I I couldn't tell uh, whether the scene was good or not or if it was too long. I mean, I was young and inexperienced. I know, but but yeah. now people make shorts um, mm -hmm. still, or mm -hmm. I should say now, yeah. uh, people still make shorts, but but I was going to say in general, I'll hear so-and-so is a, a director now and they've done a, a couple one-minute videos, you know, I for know. a website. Yeah. And, I think, huh, that's interesting. And it, it makes sense because I feel I'm an interviewer. I've interviewed over a thousand people, even if I haven't done it for, um, mm -hmm. I don't know, 60 minutes. Right. And so so I do appreciate why that person would say, yes, I am, even if I haven't been given the opportunities or don't have the right decal. I would never right say decal. that. I, 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 you know, people say, oh, I'm a director. I'm like, really? I'm an eater now. 
Yeah, an eater. Yeah. <laughs> that I can safely yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. I'm an eater, a breather. Um, but so N- NYU was where you've made your first w- one minute and three minute films. Yeah, a bunch of little okay. things, silly things. That on film. Were really fun. Yeah, on, um, I guess they were on 16 or Super 8. I can't remember. And, you know, actual splicing with tape yes, and everything. Yes, which was a good thing to learn. It was, yeah. It was really good. Um, this is better. <laughs> but um, to some extent. Um, and then, yeah, so my first film, I just, I wasn't ready. You know, I didn't have the maturity or the whatever. Okay, but so let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Do you think you became ready because you, you know, went through the steps of not being ready or... Meaning, making this film, what was the first one called? Every Other Weekend. Okay, so in making Every Other Weekend, mm-hmm. do you feel like that set you up to do better in the next film, which was Richard I Love? Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and there'd been quite a few years between. Between them. Yeah, a few years. And by the time I made It's Richard I Love, I felt more ready. I felt like the material was tighter. It's still not a perfect film, but, you know, it's pretty sweet. And um, I don't know. I just, I got better. Yeah. That's all. That's always always reassuring. There's only two ways to go, right? Yeah, and I went in the right direction, thank God, I think. Um, Very much. Yeah. So, yeah, Cynthia, I couldn't believe I got Cynthia and Keith Gordon to Mm -hmm. be in it. Um, Keith was a good friend, and he knew Cynthia. So he got her to be in the movie fantastic yeah he also has a doppelganger bronson pynchon oh yeah yeah he does if he ever needs uh you know someone to sub for him in the dmv line or something like that (laughs) can you do that wouldn't that be wonderful that would be wonderful (laughs) if you you had someone who looked like you who could go in for jury duty and think about the amount of i read a i read a script that was about someone's stand-in who looked like like it was like a britney spears character who got her stand-in, who looks just like her, to do all the boring, nasty shit in her life. I mean, she, this she is fabulous. Like yeah. When do you decide to write your own stuff and direct it, and when do you decide to direct um, someone else's? Well, I always prefer writing and directing my own stuff. I just don't have... I'm not prolific. I don't mm-hmm. have a drawer full of ideas. I kind of gestate for a long time, and that's why I don't make that many movies. Gestation usually takes a long time, except for, you know, rabbits. I mean, there's certain animals. Right, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> and um, rabbits only make a movie every four years, yes. too. Yes. Um, so when I'm gestating or writing and I, and I want to work and I need to work, mm-hmm. you know, I'll take a directing job or, you know, hope that something good comes my way um, and is offered to me and... Even if it's not the right time, but I really like this particular show or this particular actor, you know, I want to do it. And I have to make a living. So so how do you budget for that with, within the reality of not really knowing what gigs are available in a coming up year? But mm-hmm. because you have two children, you have, you know, a life. Yeah. Um, you don't know if you're necessarily going to land that Yo Play ad, which was a great ad. And, did um, you see that ad? I did. Oh my! Well, how? And the GE, um, the GE science nice. ad, which was terrific. Yeah. Um, but you know, you don't necessarily know that that's going to show up right. in the forthcoming year um, any more than you know that you're going to get to direct a television show, which also makes money, and you've yeah. done so many of. So, how do you, to the extent that one can, in a field that is freelance? Mm-hmm. Um, 
sort of say, I need to make X amount. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm not. Um, How do you budget? I'm not that worried. Okay. And I've been really fortunate. So things come my way. And um, maybe I don't want to direct a commercial, but. And you can say no now. Yeah. That's I great. can say no. Not all the time, though. And like, for instance, I got, and you don't get offered commercials. You get offered the opportunity to try to get the commercial. You still have to pitch and write a treatment. Um, and it's very lucrative, but I just am finishing this movie, and I didn't want to go back to L.A. and start working immediately. I need a break, and um, I can afford to do that. And I, I've always had a kind of trust Things will work out or come my way, and I've been really lucky to be able to support me and my family doing Because you're I the love. breadwinner. Yes, I am. The types of films that you do to me as a viewer, I don't know what the actual terminology or jargon is, but it's um, looking at a slice of life, looking at um, people and how they interact mm-hmm. in their lives, a yeah. story in that sense, versus yeah. a blockbuster film about... Um, the apocalypse or something like that. Right. How would you describe your films? Oh, not about the apocalypse. Small apocalypse. Small apocalypse. No, you contained apocalypses. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just human behavior and relationships and um, the comedy and tragedy that go at the, you know, that appear at the same time. So much has been touted about um, your stepfather, Charles Jaffe. And um, he worked a lot with Woody Allen, and I believe your family in general was in film. Can you talk about how much that did and did not actually influence you? Mm -hmm. Well, my real dad, Larry Hall of Center, was an artist. And um, What kind of art did he do? um, He was a playwright, a a lyricist and a playwright, and an actor and a sculptor and a painter. Um, So he did a lot of things and uh, always encouraged me to be creative so he had a large impact on me in that way um and then my stepdad came along and produced Woody Allen movies and it helped me I got to be a PA on a movie I was nowhere near the set you know I I was with the bagels and were they good bagels I don't remember. You don't even know where they were from. There were flies all over them or something, and I had to guard them. Um, And if I got a chance to actually walk near Woody or Gordon Willis, you know, I was I was shaking. You know, they they didn't let me on the set or any of the PAs really. And it's different now, actually. At least on my films, it's much more collaborative. I you know. PAs can watch if they're not doing anything. Who cares? You know. Yeah, as long as they don't make eye contact. Of course, yeah. Or call me by my first name. Um, well, were you not allowed to call him by his first name? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Actually, he was a kind of a family friend at, yes. that, at that point. But um, so it afforded me to become an apprentice editor. I got a job in the editing room Fabulous. and I was a PA. But so you knew quite young that you wanted to go into film? No, actually. Okay. Well, I mean, no, I was in I was in my early twenties when all of this was happening. Um, no, actually, I thought I was going to do what my other father did. I thought I was going to be a painter or some kind of artist, and then I decided to please the stepfather. I, it's ridiculous, you know, that I went from one to the other. But um, you know, I always told stories, and I I loved writing, so it seemed kind of inevitable at some point. What about your mom? 
Was she an artist? So my mom was not an artist, but at one point um, she was really good at decorating, mm-hmm. like very stylish. How we always had stylish apartments or whatever. Fabulous. And um, she ended up getting a job as a, she replacing a set decorator on a movie, um, and just started doing that set decoration, and um, ended up doing a lot of really beautiful films, and. and um, but that was like later in life, you know, she was like 40, I think when she started doing this. Well, that's also inspiring though, right? Yeah. To see, okay, this is a trajectory mm-hmm. that a career continues. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I'm, I'm now older than her and we'll see. Yeah. If that's the case. Yeah. Um, and she stopped, she actually adopted a baby when she was about 52 and stopped working. One of my favorite films that you did, lovely and, oh. and amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, Thank I didn't need to laugh into the phone, but yeah. I'm laughing in part because it was such a great film. I highly recommend people see it if they have Thank not. You. I had a therapist. The pillows. I, I was seeing a therapist <laughs> at the time, and it's um, shocking. So you grew up in New York. You work in the uh, film industry. You're Jewish, and you were seeing a therapist. I know. Isn't that crazy? I'm, Employee I'm of the month maverick. is one of the best places <laughs> to find. <laughs> I know all the weird things people do. She and I, um, I invited my therapist to come see a screening of Lovely and Amazing, and um, it it was a it was a mistake because she said she wasn't moved by the film, and our relationship was never the same. First of all, I'm fascinated on so many levels. <laughs> I know. Did you have but to pay for it. the time for her to go to the screening? Yeah. No, <laughs> she came. Was interested in coming, and it was a big screening. There were a lot of you know it was a premiere. I don't remember, but. Uh, but yes, then later I had to say, so what did you think? And she says, I appreciated it, but it didn't move me. It really was fantastic. It was also one of the first films I'd ever seen where you had this young boy having the relationship with the older woman. Oh yeah. Uh And I just loved how he took it so seriously. Yeah. And that was accurate to what I imagined it would be like. Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes. Sweet. Yes. You grew up and work with a lot of people um, who are famous and were famous, and, and I was curious um, how it affects you or not affects you. I think I'm just as impressed with people as the next guy, um, maybe a little less, um, especially as I as I get older. Um, you know, how does that change for you? Um, I don't assume everybody has a better life than me, just because this is they're. Healthy you know, more beautiful or more wealthy or more famous. You know, I think actors have uh, a lot of neurosis and a lot to deal with. And I guess the people that I admire, I really admire. Otherwise, I don't care. You know, um, I still am obsessed with Bruce Springsteen. I just got tickets to him. I'd love to come. Thank you so much for offering. (laughs) And um, they were so much money. I, I, I don't even think I can afford to go. But... Um, you know, famous people, they're, you know, a lot of them are crazy and, uh, but you know, if I admire somebody, I'm, I'm in awe. I ask in part because, um, sometimes I think the film industry is more in love with the film industry than anyone else. And the other reason is that to work on projects that take so many years and take so much time, at least initially, Mm -hmm. there has to be, uh, some spark of romance and I would say this is true even if you were doing a, a study on genomes. A romance with the actors, you with mean? With the subject. Oh. Because huh. it's, it, you're investing so much of your life in something that may or may not come to fruition. It's crazy. I mean, I'm working on a movie now and 
you think, well, maybe it'll get a few bad reviews and nobody will see it. And I'm working on every second of this movie, you know, like this special effect has to look this way and this hair color is wrong and this person has to say this and this loop line is wrong, you know. And this is for your film for, for Netflix. Yeah. But you never know. They just, they go poof too. You know, maybe no one will see them. But I, I'm enjoying what I'm doing now. What was raising financing like then and what is raising financing like now? And I'm going back to what was raising financing like, let's start with Walking and Talking, mm-hmm. for example, which was a, yeah. a, a sort of, I would say, your big first feature film. Is yeah. That, is that fair? Yeah, it was my first move, big movie and, I mean, feature movie and, oh, it took forever. It was really hard. It was all about casting, like it still is. Okay. Um, and it was a million dollars. You know, I had to cast it and then that cast fell out or then, you know... Miramax wanted to make it, but only with that actor, and then that actor fell out, so they didn't want to make it, and it just kept going on and on like this. Um, Since then, um, certain movies have been much easier to get financing for, like uh, this one in particular, um, you know, a studio wanted to buy the book and paid me to write it. Turned out they actually, and they only wanted a, a certain kind of cast, a really hmm. big cast. When you, know, you say big, famous. you mean la- large yeah, people. Yeah, like one they out of six men. Healthy, you know, healthy bodies. Yeah. Like, no. yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a very small A-list. and Well, and I think it's important for p- lay people that mm-hmm. also A-list does not always resonate with what um, one as a viewer th- consu- considers A-list. That the A-list is even shorter to who is a big at a box office. Mm-hmm. There's two different things going on there. What do you mean? Meaning that there are a lot of famous people who are not working. Right. At any given time. Right. And they are not actually considered A-list at that moment. No. Even though they may be A-list. Or they're um, really famous. As an actor. I would think they're so famous and so uh, bankable, you know. Yes. Um, and then they'll say no because they do badly in Europe and they're really, they don't, as they say, mean anything. Yes. Is the, is the expression. How much does the box office play into um, who you cast? Well, I've actually... Uh, not cast for the box office. I mean, I have been able to cast who I want and therefore have a much lower budget. Okay. Um, Netflix, uh, who's making this movie, said you can cast whoever you want. Um, You can go to another studio or whatever, but I decided to make the movie with them because I could cast who I wanted and that was more important than, you know, who's on the poster or how much money I'm going to make. It really... I wanted the right person for the part. And I really wanted to work with Ben Mendelsohn. And they said, Ben Mendelsohn, fabulous. This is easy. Great. Whereas, you know, Warner Brothers or whatever might not have said that. Right. You know, um, they will soon because he's unreal. And when you go in to negotiate for money and ask for money, mm-hmm. are there things you feel that you do differently now that you're happy that you do differently? Are there ways you prepare for those kinds of meetings? I don't have those meetings. You don't. It's just God. the agents and managers who do all it's of that? It's Anthony Bregman. Okay. Who does it. And my agent, you know, negotiates my deal. But, um, yeah. I so mean, what I have do you go in when you go in and, into a meeting? What do you... Explain what I want, who I want in it, how it's going to be, what kind of movie it might be like, how I like to work, what DP I'm thinking about, what editor, what... How you like to work, crew. what does that mean? I don't know, like, 
they'll say, do you need 40 days? Because okay. we can't afford 40 days. And I don't say, I need 40 days. I say, no, I've made all my movies within 25 days. This last one was 26 days. So they're like, oh, good. You know, um, I do work quickly and collaboratively. You know, I'm happy to take notes. I might not do them all. But you sort of pitch yourself and inspire confidence in the project and in me. But having made a few movies already, it certainly is easier. Um, it's always odd to me when I have to pitch, uh, you know, like I, I tried to make a TV show. Yes. And had to, and I wrote, I don't know, three scripts or four scripts mm -hmm. for the TV show. What was the, what was the show? It was like one of my movies. It was about a middle-aged woman and her teenage daughter. And it was funny and sad. And, um, and I had to pitch it in a way as if they'd never seen my films. So th this is so um, weird. heartbreaking to someone like me who, and also, you know, another place that actually you haven't sold as well as you, I would like is on mm -hmm. my dating profiles when I say I, I will see anything by and I'll list you and, you know, Pedro Almodovar oh, and, nice. and, and some, uh, you know, Cohen brothers or, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I'm sting still single. So <laughs> I don't know where that's. Maybe you need to pick some different. <laughs> Matt Damon movies or something. I don't know. But so when you go in, mm -hmm. do you expect that they should know who you are? Because I would expect that they would know. They know who I am. They've seen my movies, are. but they still need to be pitched to. It's okay. the same with commercials. They won't just give you the job based on your work. You have to pitch. It's a very strange. And anyway, that nobody wanted to make my TV show. <clears throat> I think there were uh, a lot of... Uh, well, for one, um, Better Things, uh -huh. you know, which is a terrific show with Pam, Pamela Adlon. Mm -hmm. That was just being filmed already, and it was kind of a similar topic. And so that's interesting. So because it had a female lead. And it was about a single mom with and teenage kids. And a single mother with teenage Right. But different sensibility, different Totally different. But yeah. um, it didn't get made, and that was frustrating. So, you know, I still have to sell myself if I... But no, I'm a female director. Yeah. I mean, that's that's that. And, you know, that's better than being no director. And now I'm old, you know. Yeah, so let's talk about that. <laughs> um, and it was, it was hard to get in here, obviously, because um, getting through all of the wheelchairs and getting through all the security and, yeah. and the lines yeah. for Jello, it was hard to find you. <laughs> um, how does that, you know, impact you in positive and negative way? You know, what what yeah. is the impact you feel like at this moment? You know, I feel like... I still feel very fortunate. I really do. And I'm not just, you know, trying It's really to interesting to hear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Tell us about your fortune. How bad it is for me. Um, but I do feel, you know, there's, there's so many young women who have great opportunities. You know, the whole girls TV show generation of writers and Fleabag and um, these really confident, talented young women. Um you know, I'm, I'm a stalwart, as they call me. And I think some people will still gravitate or offer me things. Having seen my work, it doesn't matter how old I am. Yeah. But, you know, I do definitely feel like um, I'm, I'm not, you know, that new, that bright new young thing or whatever. No, but there's some other things that come out of this, the confidence, you know, in, in oh, one skin. Wisdom, I wouldn't say wisdom as we look at Donald magazine. Trump, yeah. but I, I would say that <laughs> most of the women I know, regardless of what's going on in their personal life, whether they're yeah. happily married, divorced, 
uh, not dating, dating, whether they have a great career, whether they didn't get what they wanted, Mm -hmm. um, in general are certainly more self-aware. Yeah. No, I'm definitely like more self-aware and more confident and I think getting better at what I do all the time. Um, I care less about what people think, you know, all those things that, but like when you got rejected from the TV show, I'm sorry to interrupt, but when you got rejected, you know, your TV show, what was that like for you now? How do you handle rejection now or disappointment? It was, uh, I handle it. Well, you know, I'm very, I'm okay because I know I got other stuff. If all I had was like this TV show and I hadn't directed movies or I knew I'd never get to direct movies, then I I would have been heartbroken. I was well paid to write them by a production company. So, you know, whatever happened, I supported myself for, you know, a long while. And I knew there was other things. And by the time we were finished pitching, I was like, ugh, forget it. I don't even want to make a fucking TV show. Like, it's just, I don't know. I don't care. But I was surprised, I, and so was everybody else that was working with me. They thought it was a shoe-in based on who I was and what I did, and it was like, oh, it's not. <laughs> Can it happen again at a different point? Yeah, I'm not that interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when Tig's pilot came up, mm-hmm. you know, that one Louis C.K. was going to yeah. direct it, and he decided not to direct it, so it came to me very last minute, Um and I was thrilled to do it. You know, it's not my TV show, but I really loved it. And I love Tig. And I mean, I just met her on that. And that seemed even better because I didn't have to work as hard as a showrunner has to do, you know, which I would have been. How much has is uh, directing television about m- money versus art for you, for anyone? I think it's both. I, I've never worked on a show. I don't think. Let me think. I, 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 no, I've, there's some shows that I kind of felt like, I hope I can do this. I hope that I can get the sensibility of the show because it's not something that I would instantly attach myself to. And those are harder. But I can be picky, and I try to work on shows that I really like. And so, what was your question? Who are you? I have no idea. Um, when you work on te- when you work on television shows from Sex and the City to yeah. uh, you know Bored to Death to One Mississippi, um, you're good. You know, are what when you choose these? Are you choosing them the same way that you say I want to do that Yo Play commercial, right? Or I want to do that GE General right. Electric commercial? No, I would. I mean, I wouldn't do commercials if they didn't support me if they weren't really lucrative. Okay, so the commercial There's not you, enough. You, it's not that you love Yo Play so much. No. Okay. Um, but in terms of doing the television shows, right? they're often stereotyped for directors, at least, that these are, you know, you Money just have grabs. to point a camera and shoot. Right. No, I you don't You can do this way. in your sleep. Right, That's what, right. <laughs> when people tell me, like, you can write this in your sleep. Like, they'll no, be like, you can, you know, it writes all. itself. I know. <laughs> no, I'm still completely stressed out and want to please the writers. and But I want to have a good time, so I work on shows that I like. And I try to find out if the crew is happy and, you know, they're nice people and nice actors. How do you find that out? Oh, you just call other people who've worked on the show or other people who've worked with certain actors. I mean, I I try to suss out you know, beasts if I can, you know, especially if I'm making a feature, it's like, I don't want to work with some pain in the ass who's going to make the experience unpleasant. Yes. Um, I want to have a nice time. I mean, even if they're, you know, quote unquote difficult, I can deal with that. Yeah. 
You mentioned to me you're not prolific, mm-hmm. um, and you also said you want to take a break after this particular project you're working on mm-hmm. um, for Netflix with uh, Connie Britton and Edie Falco and, and Ben Mendelsohn and Thomas Mann. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you do on your breaks? Well, I actually want to write a new script. Oh, okay. So you're so, not really taking a break. You're going to be right. Not really. Yeah. You're basically like a politician saying, I'm going to spend time with my family, but that's not I'm true. I'd be on the phone the whole time. Um, no, but I can write slowly and just a couple hours in the morning and, you know, just be by myself and write in bed and be with my kids and my friends and, you know, eat healthier and be with my family. And maybe I like to go away and write sometimes for the weekend. Where do you go? Different places like the desert. Or the woods. Um, sometimes with another writer friend, I go. Really nice. Yeah, it's really nice. It's that like when I I have a one of my best friends is an academic, but she'll come over and we'll just write all day, and it is so nice to like have. right next to each other. Yeah, it's, it's just nice. so nice that you feel yeah. a little less alone. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really nice. We take breaks, and it's great. How's it going? Um, but I do. I I need a vacation. So tell me a little bit about this mo- the mm-hmm. projects you're working on right now, yeah. and then I will let you get a vacation. Thank you. What more can I tell you? Yeah. What are you working on right this moment? You said you're you're editing. Oh, um, sound mixing. Sound mixing. Marcelo Zarvos is the composer, and he did my last two movies. Okay. And we're you know the sound mixing. You sit in a big mixing stage in a dark room for a couple of weeks, and put the movie together sound wise. We do you, finished editing. Do you? Eat- take more vitamin D during that time? That's a good idea. I should. I know. No, and also because there's like this platter of, you know, candy and muffins. And the really the goal is not so much to make your movie the best it can be. It's really how not to gain 10 pounds during the sound mix. People talk about that a lot, that, that weight gain is a real issue as actors. What is that <laughs> yeah. like on the directing side? Um, you know, nobody gives a shit if I'm fat or whatever. No, but you but do. I do. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. No, because it's it's such gluttony on these, and I don't, I don't. You know, I want to stay. I have no self control. I love sweets. Oh, man, I have no. In I, fact, I agreed to get everyone in the mixing room, all the guys who always eat this crap. I'm like, guys, do you really want these muffins in here all day long? And then they say, no, we don't want them. So I get rid of them, and that's very unheard of. I don't know. We've talked about you being rejected, you know, with the television project by the mm-hmm. end, feeling so frustrated that I don't actually care anymore. Mm-hmm. But you also have to reject a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you'll have worked with someone and had a really pleasant relationship, but not have a space for them. And sometimes you may not have had it, but didn't communicate it. And mm-hmm. then h- how do you deal with that? How do you deal mm-hmm. with, um, you know, not having big enough parts for people you'd like to cast or yeah. um, not being able to cast someone I know. And being confronted uh, well, on it. I wish I was prolific because there's so many people that I meet with or watch and I want to work with them. And there's just not that many movies. I don't make that many movies. And I do sometimes feel when I run into an actor who I've had lunch with and said I want to work with that they feel insulted. And, oh, it's just a terrible feeling. Does it make you, like, buy them their lunch? It makes me say clumsy things. Like, oh, I would have loved to cast you, but, you know, I end up... But Catherine Keener was so much thinner, and that's because she's on the Stairmaster more often. Exactly. Yeah, she's thinner and looks better in clothes, so sorry. But it is hard. I mean, you know, I I think about that with Catherine and her sister Elizabeth. I don't know if there's even another sibling, you know, but what's that? Boys. There's boys. And are they actors also? No. 
But I mean, it's tough because yeah. there are so few spots. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is, I remember Tina Fey was interviewed and they said, it's a great time for women to her. And she said, is it? And it was the, thank God, I'm so happy she said that. Yeah, because like, huh? what she was saying is, yeah, it's a great time for me. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that that's necessarily true for the, you know, millions of others. And no, it's the same 10 people who get cast in everything. And with film, it's even harder because the mm-hmm. industry, the type of films that you do, um, it seems, and maybe that's, is it harder to make those kinds of movies now? Is is it because there are more outlets, it's actually easier? Like, what? I think it's a combination. I think now that there are more outlets, it's easier. Mm-hmm. And I have, I've had such complete freedom having made this with Netflix. Yeah. I mean, it's been a dream. It will only, you know, end up being a little postage stamp on someone's TV set. Okay. Um, but it'll be my TV set. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe my computer be... and my cell phone. Right. Good. Okay. Um, Can't stop watching. But it is the the stars still drive the movie industry. Um, if you want a movie to play theatrically, it's still all about Nicole Kidman or Sandra Bullock or George Clooney or Brad Pitt. You know, the same people. And, you know, they're good actors, but they might not be right for all parts. So I I choose a lower budget and, you know, the actors that I really want or feel they're right for the part. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing this newest project. Thank you. And I'm going to continue to put you on my dating profiles and just hope. <laughs> yeah, good that luck. it leads to something. I don't know. <laughs> good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode. Thank you to Rob Schulte. Thanks to all of you for listening. And I wanted to let you know, we talked about we, meaning me. I had spoken about um, going on the road in 2017, and then we got this really exciting offer in 2018. So I actually had to shelve um, our road trips in 2017 so we can concentrate on getting you um, a really spectacular, super-duper new season coming up in 2018. So go to employeeofthemonthshow.com, get on the mailing list, Um, to be the first ones and that way you can also maybe get some special special surprises that are going to be coming your way soon enough i know delayed gratification what is that it's happening i promise have a good one i'm katie lazarus i'll talk to you soon 